everybody. It's me, Auntie, and I'm glad you came and joined me for part two of Go Fish. But before we get to the story, you know Auntie has to give you a little bit of a history lesson stuff. So with hockey season just around the corner, or if it did start, oops, my bad, um, I thought it'd be nice to talk about some of our black hockey players. So I found one. His name was Eldon Wade Pokey Reddick, and he was born October 6, 1964. And he used to be an ice hockey goaltender in the National Hockey League from 1986 to 1987, and then again in 1993 to 1994. He was nicknamed Pokey um, from his father as a result of his slow poke movement throughout the house. Now, I know a lot of people who move slowly, so... I guess Pokey would be the perfect nickname for them, right? Um, he, his NHL level experience, he played for Winnipeg Jets, Edmonton Oilers, and Florida Panthers. And he won a Stanley Cup championship with the Oilers in 1990 as a backup goaltender. So that was amazing. Um, I, I guess the other goal goalie, which was Bill Ranford, um, his season ended early because he had a injury, it looks like, in his tenor, I guess. Um, and he, and since then, as his career ended, it just looks like, uh, I'm not sure. It, it doesn't, it says that he, when he retired from playing professional hockey, he became an assistant coach for the Tri-City Storm of the USHL. And he now lives in Las Vegas, Nevada. And, su- and he served as a tournament director at the Las Vegas Ice Center in 2014. And then head coach of the Las Vegas Storm, Midget, um, in 2013. He's also currently coaching the first high school hockey team in Nevada at Faith Lutheran Middle School and High School. So that is amazing. And also what I found was great is his younger brother, Stan, or Smokey, as they called him, he was also a goaltender for 12 years. And also um, Pokey's son named Bryce, he was a defenseman acting active in the minor leagues and European hockey since 2020. So that's amazing. And he had three children. So one out of the three is really into hockey like him. So anyways, it's time to hear part two of Go Fish. Here we go. The Continuation of Go Fish by Mary Saltz, illustrated by Pat Cummings. How long do we have to be patient, Tom asked. As long as it takes, said Grandfather. This didn't sound good, Thomas scowled, scratched his arm, his head, his ankle. He shifted from one leg to the other. Observe, Thomas, how quietly they wait the pelicans, and our friend, the heron. 
They don't wriggle with rhythm like some I could name. They don't have anything to do but wait. Thomas, I've said it before and I say it again. You are a restless boy. I know, Thomas said. Grandfather, yes, Thomas, when you were a boy, were you restless? Grandfather tipped his head till his beard pointed at the sky. I'll cast my mind back. Thomas waited. Grandfather lowered his chin, looked into Thomas's eyes. I was, he said. Oh, good, Grand, good. Grandfather threw out their lines again, handed Thomas his pole. They went on being patient. They had a few strikes, but each time the fish got the bait and Thomas and Grandfather got nothing. All part of the game, Grandfather would say. Calmly rebaiting, Thomas landed a blowfish. It came out of the water already, starting on its defense. Breathing deeply, it began to puff up, swelling until it looked like a bubblegum bubble with spines. Thinks he looks pretty fierce, doesn't he, Grandfather? He does look fierce for a fellow his size. Grandfather dropped this stiff little blow-up blowfish into the water where it slimmed down and swam off as if nothing unusual happened. They caught a flounder. Flounder are bottom fish and mostly spend their lives buried in sand. Their eyes are on top of their heads. They are flat as plates, and the one thing they caught was too small to keep. Carefully, Grandfather slid it back into the water. Too bad flounder were good, were good eating, especially the way Grandfather prepared them. Thinking about Grandfather's cooking made Thomas' mouth water. You're a very good cook, Grandfather, he said. True. I'm getting kind of hungry. So am I, said Grandfather. He did not sound sound ready to quit. Thomas sighed and moved his rod gently up and down. They caught a ladyfish. These are not good eating. Grandfather was about to toss it back when the heron darted forward and took it right from his hand, then tossed his head back and set about swallowing. Thomas watched as the bony fish went down the bird's long neck. I'm glad we don't have to swallow whole fish that way, he said. So am I, said Grandfather. Suddenly Thomas' rod dipped. A fish flipped out of the water and a long way off. Speckled trout, said Grandfather, a big one. Gently now, Thomas, you don't want him to throw the hook. I'm trying, Thomas said, turning the reel as slowly as he could. He wished Grandfather would take over, but didn't ask. Grandpa, grandfather believed it was every man to his own fish. Slowly, slowly, he reeled in his trout until it was close enough for Grandfather to scoop up with the net. He was willing to do that. By golly, Thomas, he shouted, look at the size of him. Thomas, swelling like a blowfish, regarding his catch proudly. He'll have to go in the book, won't he, Grandfather? He certainly will. A page to himself like the snook he caught. You caught. All right, I caught. But this is your fish, and you are the one to write him in the book. 
Oh, good, Thomas said happily. Now, let's go to it, said Grandfather. This crowd of trout is here, and we have to strike before they take off. In the excitement, Thomas forgot to be tired. Side by side, he and Grandfather caught 15 trout and had to send only three of them back to sea. Two to grow bigger and maybe be caught another day. Twelve good-sized fish, Grandfather would keep out enough for tonight and tomorrow's dinner and freeze the rest for later eating. Thomas swallowed hungrily, thinking about dinner. All right, Grandfather said at last, let's go home. Collecting their gear, richer by twelve speckled trout, they clanked back up the beach. Ringo, a cat who knew when fishing had been going on, stalked along the porch railing and jumped to the floor. Twinning around Grandfather's leg, he asked for his share. I'm starving, he cried in a meowful voice. I'm dying of hunger. Nobody ever feeds me. Grandfather, not impressed, put the fish in a plastic bag and put the bag in the refrigerator. He'd wait till they were cold to fillet them. Thomas, he said, please explain to your cat that he's obligated to wait till dinner time like the rest of us. Thomas looked at the kitchen clock. Years back, Grandfather had taught him to tell time on clocks with hands. A lot of his friends, like Donnie, could read only digital clocks. Hands straight up, 12 noon. It ages till, it's ages till dinner, Grandfather. Grandfather was unmoved. Lunch will hold you. They had a peanut butter sandwich and milk and apples. Ringo, who was supposed to eat only twice a day, had a small dish of cat kibble. It doesn't look right, Grandfather sometimes said, for us to have lunch and tell him that cats can't. Lunch over, Grandfather retired to his room for a snooze. Thomas rode his skateboard down the road to Donnie's house. Donnie's mother greeted him at the door. Come in, come in, Thomas, she said. Where have you been all morning? She wouldn't care to hear about fishing. Nobody in Donnie's family wanted to know that any creature, any fish or bird or beast had taken by human beings for the table. Just fooling around, Thomas said. At times it seemed you had to say a thing that wasn't true in order not to upset people. Was that fibbing, he asked, or was it being polite? It's both, Grandfather said. The ideal is to tell something but the truth. But perfect honesty at times comes out to perfect rudeness or thoughtlessness. Our problem is to know when which is which. He thought that over and added, if you see what I mean. I think I do, Thomas had said, giving his grandfather an armful of comforting pats. He and Danny spent the afternoon on their skateboards, and when he got home, Grandfather was in the kitchen with the trout already filleted. Now Ringo got his share, two fish heads that he was invited to enjoy in the backyard. Dipping the fillets in milk, Grandfather rolled them in seasoned cornmeal, then put them aside while he steamed the broccoli and cooked the rice. Thomas set the table. 
When everything else was ready, Grandfather fried their trout to a crackly brown. Thomas closed his eyes, sniffing the fragrance. He supposed nothing else in the world smelled as good as this, except when Grandfather baked bread, which he did every Monday. Dinner, Grandfather announced, putting wedge of lemon on a warm plates, then the fish, the broccoli, and the rice. Thomas put a basket of bread on the table. Oh, boy, he said, I can hardly wait. You don't have to, said Grandfather. For dessert, they had mango ice cream and ginger snap, all homemade by Grandfather. When the last bite was gone, Grandfather patted his stomach. A dinner fit for a couple of kings, wouldn't you say? What are we going to do now? The dishes. I mean, after. Are you going to read your book some more? What would you like to do? Thomas sat at the table, opened the drawer, and got out their deck of cards. Good, said Grandfather. I like to have my mind made up for me now and then. As Thomas picked up the cards, their attention was caught by Ringo, who began to run back and forth along the baseboard, chanting and lashing his tail. With a sudden cry, he leaped up the wall, fell back, and crouched, quivering, eyes fixed on the ceiling. Grandfather Thomas looked up. The skink again, said Thomas. For a couple of days, a skink, a lizard, about a sixteenth of an inch in circumference, and perhaps an inch long, had been occupying a corner of the room above the bookcases. He would disappear into the molding, peep out, pop back, emerge, and race across the ceiling, then rush back, to sanctuary. Ringo, apparently thinking he was on safari, would scarcely leave the house so intent he was upon the chase. Clearly, Grandfather said, that tiny creature in your atom of a brain has reasoned that the whisker-twitching, tail-swinging, craze-eyed, chattering creature down here on the floor represents danger. So she sensibly decided to remain up there on the ceiling. It's almost as if she's teasing him. Does, does seem that way, doesn't it? I doubt if she's up to anything so complicated as the game of cat and skink. You're always telling me how patient animals are, Grandfather. But I don't think Ringo is being patient. He's acting cuckoo. That's because he seems the prey right there within what he won't admit isn't springingly distance. Silly cat, Thomas said fondly. Oh no, it's just that his instinct is stronger than his judgment. But you'll see, Thomas, when the lizard disappears again, he'll settle down to watch for her, quiet as you please. Just then the lizard slipped behind the molding. For a moment, Ringo studied the corner where she dwelt, then leaped to the top of Grandfather's chair and subsided to wait. See, said Grandfather, and then are you going to deal? Thomas dealt. He frowned at his cards. Do you have any threes, he asked. Grandfather tipped up his beard. He lowered his chin. He leaned forward. He tapped his forehead and scowled and muttered. Grandfather, Thomas said sternly, you know if you have threes, 
Give me time. I'm still looking. Thomas smiled. After a pretty long time, Grandfather said, Go fish. Thomas, who'd been waiting for this, gave a yell that sent Ringo flying across the room. We already did, he whooped Grandfather. <laughs> we already did. Go fish. He thought they'd never stop laughing. Grandfather, he said, Yes, Thomas. Did you ever see snow? I mean, personally, your own self. Yep. Do you think I will one day? I mean, will I get to see all the places and things that you saw? Thomas, you will see snow and all the places and things that I saw. And you will see more, much more. You think so? I know so. Thomas could barely imagine it. But if Grandfather said so, then so it would be. Did you have a sled? He asked. I didn't have one, but I spent days on my cousin's up in New York State where he lived. It was called a flexible flyer. Oh my, said Thomas with a sigh. When was that, grandfather? Ages ago, in another lifetime. Did you have another lifetime? Everybody has. What does that mean? Maybe I can explain. I'll try. You see, Thomas, there's a lifetime of childhood of being a boy or a girl. As the case may be, that, that lasts a long time. When you're in it, you are quite sure it will never end. Then comes the time of being a young person. And after that, a middle-aged person. Those are the years when you go along just being, if you see what I mean. Sort of, said Thomas. How long does that last? Not quite so long as childhood. Then what? The last of all, the lifetime of being old, like me. You aren't so old. Grandfather picked up his cards. Do you have any jacks? After the card game, they co consulted the TV section of the newspaper, finding nothing that Grandfather said they wanted to see. They went out to the porch and sat on the swing, creaking idly back and forth. Ringo abandoned the lizard, followed and resumed his railing perch. The sun flew citrus-colored banners as it sank into the Gulf of Mexico. Cradle songs fell from leafy branches, and crickets scraped their fiddles in the grass. On the ground, a pair of mockingbirds hopped around each other, flicking their tails then lost interest and flew apart. Ringo watched, but made no move toward them. Thomas yawned. You could tell me a story, he said. All right, what about? You pick, only not a bad one. Do I ever tell you a bad story? I guess, I mean, not a sad one. I see, only happy people with happy problems, as the old saying goes. Grandfather, that sounds silly. It is silly. I tried to tell you about life, and life is not full of happy people with happy problems. Thomas turned and looked into his grandfather's eyes. I know that already, he said. I've known that for a long time. Grandfather put his arms around Thomas and held him close. Of course, he said with a whistly sigh. We know that we don't, we. Thomas leaned his head against the chin chest. Did your grandfather tell you stories, he asked. He did. And did his grandfather tell him stories? Yes, and did. You could keep that all 
up till we were face to face with your great, 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 and one more great grandfather, he who has taken a slave from his home to Benin. In Africa? Yes. Would you like to hear an African story? Yes, but make it up, please. According to grandfather, his great-grandfather had said all the family on that side was descended from the Yorbas, from the great-great-great and one more great-grandfather and his long-ago wife. Grandfather had a store of African tales, mostly Yoruban, passed down the generations since then. He told true stories which were history and folk tales which were mythology, and he had a gift for making up stories. Thomas usually liked those best. It seemed to him that perfect truth, like perfect honesty, came out sometimes to perfect misery. Make one up, he said again, and yawned. Grandfather tipped his head back, thought for a few minutes, and began. You must understand, Thomas, that certain Yoruba tribes had the cult of Ejibi. Thomas sighed happily, African words. Iganaromwo, Ikagobo, Yohamoweloa. He didn't always remember what they meant, but loved the sound of them. What's a cult, he asked. A belief. I see. What is Ibaji? Ibaji are twins. I see. Go on with the story. If I'm permitted to, the cult of Ibaji held that held that twins were unlucky for the tribe. Therefore, such children were always separated. One sent to a village east, the other to a village west of the village where they were born. Why? Thomas, I don't know why. It's just what my grandfather said, his grandfather said, his grandfather, and so on back said, was fact. Shall I continue? Oh, yes. Fine. Now, let's see. Again, grandfather paused to gather his thoughts. He made up his stories as he went along, which required a certain amount of thinking. Thomas tried to wait patiently. All right, here it is, Thomas. Once upon a time, long, long ago, in the beginning of the world, Shango, the thunder god, and his wife, what was her name? Grandfather exhaled a breath. Her name was Esiji. You're making that up. I'm making the whole thing up. Go on, said Thomas, trying to stifle another yawn. Very well. Esiji gave birth to a pair of sons, twins. Knowing that the misfortune would be befall the tribe if the twins, the Ibiji, remained together. Shango transformed them into two winds, sending one to the east and the other to the west of the place where he and Esiji made their home. Thomas' eyes drooped. His grandfather's voice seemed far away. What happened then, he murmured. The brothers, the east wind... The brothers, the east and w the east wind and the west wind, wanted to come together again, and that is why they blow around the world to this day, always trying to find each other, but never able to. 
Poor Ebeties, said Thomas, drooping into sleep. Grandfather remained holding his grandson while the sky darkened and the evening star rose from the sea. A barred owl flew by the great brown moth to close that grandfather could almost count his feathers, could have met his eyes if the owl had turned his way. When Ringo leaped from the railing and disappeared into the cricket humming garden and the kitchen clock only a minute or so behind the bell of the congregational church told nine o'clock, he gently awakened Thomas and stirred him toward bed. By the time he had gotten into his pajamas and washed up, Thomas was wide awake again, lying in bed, Ringo on the pillow beside him. He listened to the clattering fronds of a palm tree outside his window. The wind was from the southeast, a rain wind, but there was no rain. He lay with his hands beneath his head and thought about the brother winds, the east wind and the west wind, the ebeji, blowing around the world forever, trying to find each other. That was a good story. All of Grandfather's stories are good, the true ones and the made-up ones. He thought about today. Summer days were long, long days, yet they seemed to go so fast. Grandfather said that when a person was a child, he thought that was what he would always be. It did seem to Thomas pretty crazy to think of himself being anyone but himself, a person his age. Still, he was beginning not quite believing in, but almost to admit that he would get older. One day he would be a grown-up. He would even be one day like his grandfather, old. He wondered if then he would sit with some boy or girl who was his own grandchild, telling tales of long ago, stories of life with grandfather. He would tell how they had talked together and fished together and cooked good meals and in the evening played cards. He would show his grandchild the album with the picture of grandfather's house almost buried by the hurricane. There were pictures of Ringo in the album and pictures of himself and Donnie. How much he was going to have to show and explain. He would give his grandchild the fossil fish and tell how his grandfather had found it long ago in North Carolina, though he would point out that long, long ago in human terms was nothing compared to the history of 50 million year old fossil. He would tell over again to this grandchild the stories of grandfather had told him, that his grandfather had told him, that his grandfather had told him, and so back and back, back through the years to Benin an ancient town in Africa. He would remember all grandfather's tales, the true ones and the made-up ones. Turning over, he pushed his face into the pillow. Ringo climbed on his back and settled there, purring. In a sudden rush, rain came crashing through the palm frowns, sounding like wire whisks sliding over a drumhead. And to that music, Thomas tried to picture himself, an old man on a porch 
swinging, turning his beard up while he took time to invent a tale to tell the child who sat beside him, waiting for the story to begin. Well, that's the end of part two and the end of the story. Wasn't that a great story? That he was thinking now that all the things he's learning from his grandfather, he'll teach his grandson, who will teach his grandson, who will teach his grandson, all the things and probably create stories for his grandson. That is wonderful. That's a lovely bond between a grandparent and a grandchild. And it's always very important because grandparents hold the history and the child will make sure the history continues on. So that's it for me today. I hope you guys are doing well. And don't forget about Shopify.ca to get your business, the children's business kit, okay? I am black, proud to be black because black looks good on me and it looks amazing on all of you. Take care.